0: Hey there, my name is Carrie Siever. I am a structural engineer with Vector Collaborative and also your host of the Unboxing Project. I am so glad that you're here joining us for season number two at Keep Coming Back. have Kelly Altus with us. She is a principal and client executive at IMeg Corp. Uh, She oversees a team of 25 people within the industrial sector. She went to Iowa State University and got a degree in civil engineering and practiced structural engineering with the same company ever since she graduated. So she's been with the same company the whole time, which is kind of unheard of in our industry. And so Kelly and I are about exactly the same age, um, same background as far as our um, degree and kind of what we went to pursue straight out of college. I would say now it's a little bit different kind of what we do, but also um, similar in in very many ways too, I guess. So Kelly has also won the 40 Under 40 Award for a couple of national magazines, uh, the Building and Design, and Construction Magazine and also the um, Consulting and Specifying Engineering Magazine. Is that right?
1: hmm
0: Yep. 40 under 40. Um, so the team that she oversees right now is mostly mechanical and electrical engineers servicing the industrial sector. So with that, thanks for being here, Kelly. Sure.
1: Sure. No problem. Ooh.
0: Maybe if you could just get started with a little bit of kind of your backstory, how you grew up, kind of when you decided you were interested in engineering.
1: Sure. So um, when I was in high school, I enjoyed math and science. I got good grades. I um, looked to schools, to colleges to see, you know, where do I want to go? And Iowa State um, was kind of the place that I enjoyed. Um, most in doing campus campus visits and things like that and so um, Iowa State was a great school for engineering and I was encouraged to go into engineering by my counselor in high school and um, of course my parents were huge supporters you know they are the opinion that you can do pretty much anything you want to anything you can put your mind to you can get done so went to Iowa State for engineering I went with um, four other, high school colleagues or people that graduated with me from high school, four other men. I was the only female, there was five of us that went into engineering and I was the only one that graduated. So that was like a big accomplishment. Uh, (laughs) The other four graduated, just not with engineering degrees. And so um, that kind of got my career started off but I didn't, when I entered college, I didn't know um, what kind of engineering I wanted to do. I picked civil just because I was like, oh, bridges, that looks cool, you know, but I I really didn't understand. Um, when I started taking classes, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. And so I was like, okay, well, this, I think I'm just going to stick with civil. Did a couple of internships, worked for a, a construction company uh, for a couple of summers and decided that construction really wasn't for me. Um, so rough. <laughs> rough job, a lot of hours, a lot of stress, and um, I thought that I would much rather go into consulting so that I could work more on the design side and be um, more office-based and more on the creative end of things rather than the actual execution. And so finally, by my senior year, um, I decided that I wanted to do structural consulting. I had a capstone class where we got to try out different types of civil engineering and structural was really the one that I gravitated to. So that kind of sealed the deal and I looked for jobs, structural consulting jobs, had a few job offers to choose from and ended up at my current firm back in 2001.
0: That's awesome. So yeah, almost 20 years at the same place then, right?
1: I do. Yep, I do. So how,
0: how has your job function changed over those 20 years?
1: It's changed quite a bit. So I started out as a structural engineer Um, working, you know, doing design calculations, documentation, um, markups on drawings, working with a a team, um, and being mentored um, by other senior structural engineers. Um, As I went through my career, I seemed to pick up a group of industrial type clients. So these would be clients that are Um, manufacturing or packaging or making a product. And I drew a lot of satisfaction from working with that client base. It was direct to client. It wasn't necessarily through an architect. Um, A lot of structural engineers work through architects. I mean, I would say that's probably more common, Mm -hmm. Um, but I enjoyed more the direct to owner work because I felt like I had, there's a lot of accountability <laughs> associated with it, but you also have a lot of flexibility to set your you know, project schedule, project budgets, um, do a lot of that work direct to client where you aren't necessarily going through another entity. And um, in doing so, I was able to um, pull in even more discipline. So rather than just doing structural, we would end up doing structural, mechanical, electrical. Sometimes I'd have to hire an architect as a sub Sometimes I'd have to hire a process engineer. I just enjoyed leading in that um, aspect as opposed to being a subconsultant, and found some success in it. So um, in 2018, then there was an opportunity for me to be able to lead a team that did um, primarily industrial type work, happened to be an MEP team Um, So me being a structural engineer, I'm a little bit of an odd fit on that team, but um, the flip side of it is my client base really matched well with that group. And so um, I took a risk and said I would um, take on the role of leading the team. And that's what I've been doing um, for the past three years. And it's actually worked out really well. Um, I'm having a lot of fun. I enjoy the people that I work with. It's been awesome to see the team grow. Um, we're hiring new people, even during COVID, which is crazy. Um, and our client base continues to return to us for work. So that means we're doing a good job. <laughs> um, so it's been a lot of fun, even though it was a it was a risk.
0: Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me at all about you, Kelly. Um, that <laughs> all of that. Um, because I so I feel like we've probably been friends for five to seven years. I don't know, time goes by super fast. Um, but about that amount of time. And so like, we got to know each other when you were maybe doing more of the structural stuff. Um, and one or like a couple of observations that I noticed right away was your technical competency was amazing, like great and very good about oversight and quality control and how important it is to have great oversight of things. But then more recently, as your role has evolved and as we've gotten to know each other more, like you've shared some really interesting things to me about how important it is to um, solidify that relationship with a client and how important it is. Like one thing that specifically sticks with me, like the last time we got together, you were talking about how important it is to know your client and to know how they feel and kind of the emotional side of, your client. And honestly, I brought that to my own professional world a lot recently because that is such a big key because it's so much more like, I feel like you have the groundwork of a very strong technical competency, but now you've taken that, that, you know, and, and you've always had your clients, I guess. Right. But like you, have you've, you've um, even grown that more by having this great relationship with your clients. So it doesn't matter kind of what your technical background is. It's just like you were saying, like it's the same client base that you've had for a long time and you're just growing that relationship with them. So what would be like for someone else in the consulting world, so structural engineers or you know mechanical, electrical, what would be some advice that you would give them for maintaining or growing that relationship with a client?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think that getting to know your clients to the point where they're like your friends, I mean to me that makes work not seem like work. And especially in the AEC world, architectural engineering construction, things can get contentious, they can get adversarial, if we can get a team of you know, engineer, contractor, architect if needed, owner, to the point where they are friends and will actually back each other up and, and cover, cover each other as needed, um, those are some of the most successful projects. It's, I think, difficult to achieve that level of camaraderie unless you have kind of like same team working together. And so that's something that we really strive for at IMeg is to get the same group of people working together on multiple projects. Cause then you can build those strong relationships. Um, You can look at your owner's position and say, what can I do to help them out, to make them shine, to make them, um, their projects successful. Um, as opposed to, I'm just going to provide you some, here's some structural, you know, here's some technical information that you hired me to provide. That's not really consulting in my mind. That's, you know, the, the technical piece, while it's important um, and, can, and can require um, a tremendous amount of creativity and originality, at the end of the day, the, the calculations that you run are not what your client is really paying for. What they're paying for is somebody to look out for them, to advise them, to be that trusted partner that is gonna look out for them to ensure project success.
0: And their expectation is higher than that, right? So like technical competency is the benchmark lowest level. They expect that, that's expected. We expect it of ourselves, our clients expect that. That's a given and like they, they want something more than that, just like you're saying, like an enhanced, like a relationship, and and to trust, and to be able to do things differently, more efficiently,
1: like to be innovative, right? Absolutely, absolutely, that, and that's the differentiator, right? I mean, you can't um, walk into a client and say, I'm going to give you a bunch of foundation calculations, so you can go build a foundation for your building, like they don't that's important, but it's not like what they care about. What they care about is that they end up making money in the end because you've built this new process or there's new building for them to house a process that they can make a product that then will turn a profit. And so if you can always keep that in mind, like what's the big picture, what's the end goal, what is success in the client's mind, um, and form your decision-making process based on that information as opposed to okay, I have to come up with the most cost effective, you know, concrete design. Well, that might work and be the best thing from a structural standpoint, but maybe you now cost a bunch of money um, to the mechanical or the electrical or the, the owner because of this decision that you made. So you have to have a more global perspective um, mm-hmm. when you're, when you're looking at solutions.
0: And don't you feel like, uh, like every owner wants to be like, the, the the worst thing for us is if a, an owner has to be super involved with fire drills or like emergencies that come up all the time, like the the best project is one that they can trust the experts being, you know, IMEG I'm and all the services that you're providing to just do it.
1: <laughs> just handle it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's true. I will say though, there are times when we do have to include them because it's not hundred percent like you know hands off you guys go take care of this for me a lot of the especially in the industrial market a lot of our owners are hands-on they want to be involved they want to know what you're designing why are you making those decisions and so we find that when we can um you know rather than going through a full design and never really consulting them until the end we build in intentional page turns so that we can sit down with them and say okay you know, this is what we talked about at the last meeting. Here's what we've developed now as a result of that. Are you on board? Are you in agreement? Do we need to make any modifications? We find that when we can insert those intentional points of review almost to like, I don't want to say force, but almost to um, have them be inserted into the design process, we can get much better buy-in. And honestly, it saves us time because we don't end up redesigning at the end. Based on someone saying, well, I didn't know you were going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's important,
0: too. I mean, that's a very good thing, too, of, like, not being, I know I was saying before, like, you know, like, to be able to just take care of it. But, yeah, the, check, the check-ins are important. Like, I work with architects a lot, and, like, that's important for us, too, so that we're not, like, one of the big kind of buzzwords right now, silos and working independently in separate silos. So making sure that isn't happening. So at the end you come together with, you know, a completely different concept, I guess. So.
1: Right. But I, going into construction, I mean, there's a lot of details of design and construction that I don't feel like the owner needs to be a part of. Like that is the reason why they're paying the design and construction team for us to resolve a lot of these you know, find details on our own. And it goes back to the importance of that team that you build, you know, having the same team working together, um, if the contractor can call me and say, hey, we've, you know, this thing came up in the field, we found this unknown thing, can you please help us with it? If we can just resolve that and move on um, without the owner even having to know about it or deal with it, that's, that's great. I mean, that's ideal. Right. Well, and just like you're
0: saying, to have that relationship with the whole, the construction and the design team. So instead of like when something does happen, because inevitably it doesn't like real life doesn't go (laughs) like the drawing set always, like it doesn't, things Mm -hmm. come up, right. But when something does come up, instead of being like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, like sending an email to, 10 people and like this is like explaining why it's not your fault um like there's so much lost energy and effort in that and it's (laughs) like if 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 the contractor can just call you up and that goes both ways like that goes on the design side and the construction side like I'm not saying the contractor like I think both sides do that sometimes but if something comes up in the field if the contractor can just call you up and have a 10-minute conversation and come up with a solution like that's so much more effective the And it's and that's based on trust, right? You both trust each other that you're going to do what's best for the project and what's best for the client, not just what's best for you. So, right, that's a huge
1: right. for sure to have. My those. friend, uh, my friend calls that earning chips. <laughs> so, you, you know, a contractor might be asking you as a designer to do something that maybe is a little bit outside your scope, but honestly, it's going to take you like 20 minutes to look at it and give them a response. So, are you gonna, you know? fight back and say, well, that's outside my scope. You need to pay me and blah, blah, blah. Or are you just going to handle it? Mm -hmm. A lot of times I'll just choose to handle it because you can earn some tips and there may be a future situation where I'm calling the contractor saying, Hey, I was looking at this drawing and something is not right. We need to make a change. I want them to help out the team that way too, so that we can resolve it and move on. Yep.
0: Great point. (laughs)
1: Um, so what would you say, like, as
0: far as, um, kind of maybe your job title now, like what's one of your favorite things about what you do right now?
1: Um, I do enjoy being on the front end of projects. So much of what I do is, um, business development. So I'm meeting a lot of new people, um, introducing our firm, explaining what, you know, what's our value that we can provide to a a project or to a potential client. Um, I enjoy developing scopes. So working with the client to try to figure it out, figure out what is it exactly that they need from us and how much is it gonna cost us to provide that. Um, Those are, I I do, of course there's always competition. There's always others that are pursuing the same work. And Mm -hmm. so, I am a very competitive person. I like the chase. I like to, I like winning. (laughs) Um, And so that's something that does give me energy um, on the front end of projects. And in addition, the team that I work with today is amazing. I mean, there's the talent that some of the individuals on team have is fantastic. And so that's something that I also draw energy from to see them learn and grow and develop really creative solutions to have clients come back at the end of a project and say, oh, so happy working with so-and-so. They did a great job. We can't wait for the next project. I mean, I just draw a lot of satisfaction from that um, positive energy, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Love it. So you, so I am also a very competitive person. (laughs) (laughs) Like
0: like we could be seen as like in competition, even though like, like what you're doing right now and what I'm doing right now is not really indirect competition, but like it, it, like certain, like in the past, like it it could be seen Mm -hmm. that way a little bit, but like, we're good friends and like, we like, so what, how do you, facilitate healthy competition I guess like what are your thoughts on that (laughs) my
1: thought is definitely high tide rises all boats so if as a competing you know firm or uh, an individual that works for a firm to me it's better that we are on good professional terms than um being sort of mortal enemies Mm -hmm. I think that that You know, having thinking of other firms that provide the same services that you do as, um, you know, an I I don't want enemy, I guess, is not valuable for the profession. And so, I can remember um, when I was doing structural engineering and leading our structural group, you know, meeting with um, competing firms in town in the area and truly I wanted to get to know the leaders of these firms Mm -hmm. um and I wanted them to know me and I think that that's a good thing from the standpoint of you know if you I don't know if something comes up on a project and I get asked to review a set of documents that another engineer locally did I would probably decline to do that simply because I would feel like I can't provide an objective um, opinion because I view that other individual as a friend or a professional acquaintance. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think keeping that sort of professional friendship among competing firms is actually a really positive thing for the industry um, and for engineering in general.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And so like a term that I've been playing around with recently is open source engineering. So, and I don't know exactly what that means, but to me, it seems like if we can, like within the industry, if we can share, so that benchmark level of what's expected, if we can share things that we do within that and processes within that, um, then we can be better at the other stuff, right? So then like we can be better at the client relationships and the things that make us individually, I guess what our strengths are individually because that's going to match with different types of clients, right? Like you just click with certain types of clients and maybe you don't with other ones. So then maybe a competitor would click with them better, but at least the technical side of things, like sometimes the things that we do, I feel that they are very complicated. Like for instance, like the wind section of the code is like when we're doing wind design, um, it gets really complicated and the seismic stuff, like it gets super complicated. And I feel like the chances of getting that 100% right is probably 5% chance that you're going to get it 100% right. Are you going to get it within 10% of 100%, right? Probably. But like, I feel like if we can share different tactics, and I think this comes into play with like going to conferences and stuff and, and, you know, talking to people doing workshops together and stuff. But if we can share some of that, I feel like it just elevates our profession. So I don't know what that looks like,
1: but it's
0: just something that I've been thinking of recently.
1: I think, within our organization anyway, there's been a real focus on trying to develop um, yourself as a visible expert. And sometimes in an effort to develop that visible expert status, you have to convey your expertise. So you're going to conferences and speaking, you're doing blogs, you're um, working with your local organizations to try to teach others. And sometimes those others might be competing firms. But again, it goes back to high tide rises all boats. And mm-hmm. so the more that we can do to share our knowledge within the industry, our non-proprietary knowledge, we'll say, um, is, is a good thing for the profession in general and something that I know we as an organization aspire to um, simply because we, we want everybody to be better, <laughs> be better at what we do. Um, that's a good thing for our owners and our clients in the end.
0: Mm-hmm. And for us personally, right. To elevate our profession to a higher level, I think. Right. And to give the owners, every owner of our projects, um, a better output to, mm-hmm. better Absolutely. so what's a risk that you've had to take to get to where you are now, like a major risk, would you say?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think I talked about, um, a risk that I took back in 2018 of, um, you know, taking on a leadership role of a team that's different than my own personal um, technical discipline. I, I do think that was a risk. I I think it's it's worked out <laughs> at least so far. You know, I'm only three years down the path here, but I think that's been going pretty well. Um, if I look to earlier in my career, I did um, take a risk to run a project that was unique for our organization. It was something that Um, no one in our organization had ever done from a a technical implementation standpoint. Um, It's a brand new um, campus of industrial market segment type buildings for a client. Um, We ran it as Prime. We hired um, the consultants that we needed to execute that project at that time. And then we did what we could in-house, but that was something that was just very unique for IMEG simply because we had primarily been a subconsultant engineer for many, many years. Um, so there wasn't really like a, a mentor or <laughs> a person within our organization that I could go to or lean on for advice. It was sort of like jump in with both feet and figure it out. Um, and it did. And the yeah. project got built. And the client was very, we're still working with that client, um, many years later. And, but it wasn't, it certainly wasn't anything that, um, I was really comfortable doing when I started. And I think, you know, you talk about your podcast here as one that you help that, or you hope that, you know, kids will listen and learn and see if there's anything that they can glean, um, from the industry, from the you know, people working in STEM and especially as women, I think that we are risk adverse. Um, But if you take a risk, generally there are big payoffs to that risk. You have to be okay with um, potentially failing. (laughs) That's something that um, people uh, aren't always super comfortable with or, you know, want to have happen but it, it does occur and so you have to get comfortable with mitigating failure uh-huh. but in this particular case it was a risk that i took that i think was a kind of a career elevator for me yeah
0: i think like i can't help but see the similarities between that risk that you took of being kind of the prime consultant of that and where you're at now <laughs> mm-hmm. leaving the sector that you are now like that you're leading now And that's a huge for the, for the company, that's a huge financial risk too, because you don't know when you're first doing that, you don't know what it's going to take to run the project and to be the prime consultant. You like, you know what it takes to do your part, but to have all these people, you know, to like completely flip the structure of it, not to use that word, but (laughs) to completely flip the way that it's set up, um, like that could have had major, financial Mm -hmm. rewards or detrimental effects right correct Yep. that's awesome so how do you think like how do you think it's changed in 20 years from like as far as like being because like you said like we're both in a male-dominated field so we're kind of the minority especially starting out um like there was (laughs) a lot of times we go into conference rooms and it would just you know, we would be um, the only female. So how do you think it has changed in the last 20 years, like in the industry, as far as being female?
1: Um, I think there has been a lot of change. I think a lot is still the same, unfortunately. Um, but, so let's start out with the things that have changed. So um, when I was hired in 2001, I was one of the um there there weren't very many female engineers working for the company. I know um, the thought process prior to me getting hired anyway was, you know, recruiting women, like, does that really make sense? Cause aren't they just gonna wanna quit and have babies and we're consultants and we want someone to stay with the company for a lifetime, you know, for a whole career. And um, I think that that thought process changed a lot when we ended up, Changing presidents, you know, just change in leadership. Mm -hmm. And so um, we did have a time period where we were hiring a number of female engineers. And I was one of those individuals. As time went on, um, I think the company realized, and this happened to me too, that people go through different seasons of life. And, you know, for me personally, my season was I started having kids and um, consulting is a very, very stressful career to have when you have a family, when you have family responsibilities, um, both for women and men. I mean, I, you know, I look at a lot of our young men that work for our organization and, you know, their, their partners are doctors and lawyers and engineers themselves and so you have this tool dual parent um, working household it's very stressful and so um, I think for at least for our firm one good thing that that I've seen happen is there's a lot of accommodations that are made for people that are in certain seasons of life with the thought that we want an individual to join our firm and stick with our company for a career. And there may be certain points in their career where they can't give that 110% effort. Maybe they have to back off, maybe they have to back down to 100, <laughs> 90% or something like that for a time period in an effort to accommodate something that's going on in their life. Uh, might have to be, you might have to take care of an elderly parent, might be um, young children situation might be a spouse or, or personal health issues or whatever the case, but for someone that's a, a rock star, really great team member that um, is technically competent and that our clients love, I've seen the company do a lot of gymnastics to support that, to support those individuals um, to ensure that they don't leave because the company can't be flexible. Mm-hmm. So I think that level of flexibility has increased over time um, from a company standpoint on, you know, how we do our HR policies, but also just our general culture and the acceptance of um, people needing a period of time where they can't go gung-ho and be 100%, you know, work, 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 work all the time. hmm
0: I think that also, so that also ties into kind of something you said before our, before we started recording was about, you know, get it, how you get to know your employee or, you know, the people that are working under you and how important it is to know what uh, your clients as well. Like we talked about that a little bit, but both clients and employees, how important it is to know the personal side of them. And I think doing that by, I make doing that, like they're investing, in that person and that person once they're out of that season where they have to retract a little bit like they're going to be more motivated to give even more than they would have on a normal day right
1: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean I've it happened to me that way um I after I had my first son very scary and stressful and um I talked to my mom and said, mom, I think I'm going to quit. I just can't do it all. You know, you, you told me I could do anything I put my mind to, but my mind is melting down. Uh, my mental health is not in a good place right now. I think something's got to give, and I, I think I'm just going to resign. And my mom said, well, before you go and resign, why don't you just talk to your company about trying out part-time, maybe just working a few days a week or scaling back on your project load why don't you talk to them to see if they would accept something like that first try out staying at home (laughs) and see what you think um, first before you just go all in with i'm quitting i'm gonna stay home and and that's what i did um and thank goodness (laughs) i did it that way because you know um i am a much better mom when i'm working that's just the way it is and so um, having that opportunity to be able to scale back and do part-time for two years, I think re-energized me. It made it so that I could come back and give, you know, a hundred percent of myself again. Um, gosh, I wish we could offer that to everything. I mean, we seem to do it for, you know, team members that are in child care situations or if they're in, if they have to take care of an elderly parent, I wish we could offer that just to anyone because I think that that sort of mental health break was needed and it made it so that I'm able to do what I'm doing today for the company.
0: Right. And all of that training from the very, like from an employer standpoint, even if you separate out the person side of it, like all of that training, all of that investment that they put in you is still there. Like they didn't lose that and you still got what you needed. And then now it's, you know, back to the same. I had that same exact conversation with my mom when my kids were little about going to part-time and being overwhelmed. So that's kind of funny that we had the exact same conversation.
1: Thank goodness for moms, because <laughs> <Right. laughs> looking back, that was a good choice. It was a good career choice. It was a good choice for my family, because um, I was able to give them what they needed during that time period, but that time period was short. It didn't didn't need to be 10 years or 15 years. I mean, it was a couple years, and, and I was back at it. Yeah, yeah. So what's something you're passionate about? Hmm. I am passionate about family. Um, you know, that's kind of top of mind for me right now. Um, I love what I'm doing work-wise, but I got to tell you, there's a lot of times in my life where I put work first. I chose work over my family. And I would say at this point in time, I choose family over work. Um, you know, when the kids have soccer games or um other activities that they're doing I want to be there I want to be a part of that and sometimes that means saying no to something something else um but I think that is a passion of mine at this point in time anyway is spending as much time as I can with them they're great they're great boys they're wild they're (laughs) they're funny (laughs) <laughs> um, they frustrate me but I, I want to be with them you know I really want to spend time with them so that is that is a current passion um, I know when I was younger um, before having a family I I did really enjoy doing volunteer and we talked about this a little bit before you started recording I participated in a number of volunteer type organizations that were, you know, related to the AEC industry or, or kids getting into um, STEM type fields. I enjoyed doing that a lot and I can't wait to get back to it. You know, I hope that once my kids are older and out of school um, and off to college that I can get back to doing some of that volunteer work that I did enjoy so much before. But so I guess yeah. that was a passion and it is still a passion. It's just one that I've had to set aside um, to, to be able to spend time with my other passions.
0: <laughs> yep, seasons, right? You can't do it all at the same time, right? That is true. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you feel like too, like you, like uh, I feel this anyway, like I feel like I put my time in when I was younger, like working many hours and super hard that now, and maybe it's part of just being cl- not comfortable, but being secure in kind of the position that we're in right now to know that everything is fine there. And now I'm going to, and to be kind of outspoken as far as like, okay, now I'm going to be with my kids. Cause there was a point, especially for me in my career where I was like, man, if I have to leave for a doctor's appointment for my kids, like, I feel like I can't really say that. Like I shouldn't, like, I feel like that's maybe not something I should (laughs) um you know I shouldn't be taking time off from work I guess it was kind of the thought process um not that that was the right thought process then but I feel like now just being secure in the position of kind of where we're at like it's okay that we do that and we know that that's where we need to be (laughs) the kids
1: yes I agree with that 100% I can remember being very self-conscious about that sort of stuff um, earlier in my career. And I think that it's it's probably a confidence thing. You know, um, I am more confident in what I do today, um, both as a mom and working for my organization than I was, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Um, it, I do, I do recall times where I would Stay at work or continue working on something when I probably should have gone home to, <laughs> you know, make supper or whatever the case might be. Um, I think what fueled that is my desire for competition. So my desire to always be doing things one step ahead of my peers. Mm-hmm. It was also the feeling like people are watching. Everybody's watching, everybody's waiting to see, oh, what's the female engineer going to do, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, I look back on it now and I'm like, man, that was not necessary. It really wasn't, you know, Um, and I'm glad that today I feel way more comfortable in what I'm doing um, on a daily basis that, that, you know what's going to, you know, what's she going to do next? Like that kind of stuff is, I think it was all just in my own head. That's what's so funny about it. I don't think that um, anyone was actually thinking that. (laughs) I had the same thought process, right? It was like to
0: prove myself, but who am I proving myself to? Myself. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to not be at that stage, but I think both of us too, being at this stage, like i know for me it's super important to like people that i'm mentoring um, to make sure that i am dispelling any of those things in their own head right so it's like yes if you're kid if you want to be your your kids class mom and once a month you have to take an afternoon off to
1: go be there like those times are fleeting go do it so do it absolutely yeah. absolutely in fact i today if i have a team member that says Hey, I want to go do the, you know, um, something at my kid's school, or I want to go to a preschool program, or whatever the case. I'm like, go, take the day off, do it. That actually elevates that individual in my mind as far as you know this, and you know this person is committed to to family and and healthy, healthy relationships at home. Yes, right. please go do it. Do not be a workaholic because it. <laughs>
0: It's not sustainable
1: <laughs> it's not it's and it's not worth it I mean the sacrifice that you make um doing something like that and uh, over a long period of time you know if it's something if you're a workaholic and it's something you're not really passionate about you're sacrificing your health you're sacrificing your relationships with others mm-hmm. it's just not worth it and your quality of work isn't where it should be
0: either more than likely
1: <laughs> no no Although I will say about being a workaholic, like if you are passionate about what you're doing, it's really easy to fall into the workaholic category, you know, maybe a little bit like a drug. (laughs) Yeah, yes, yes. Yes. Especially when you're feeling successful, you know, when you're winning, then it's like, oh, I wanna do that more, you know? Yes, exactly, kind of like a drug. I mean, it's really no different than um, any other addiction you might have. So that is something that I've had to manage over time, you know, mm-hmm. I do really enjoy what I do and I could do it hundred hours a week. I mean, there's always work there and there yeah. could always be more, you know, but you, you do have to step back and say, okay, what's really important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is it really necessary that I answer that one last email? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you, how, are
0: you familiar with the Enneagram? What is it? The Enneagram. It's like a, there's nine different types. It's like a personality um, type test, but there's one um, that's tied to achievement and <laughs> performance um, that I could relate to. Um, so I'm just noticing some of the same tendencies.
1: <laughs> so you. Um, at work, we do the Clifton Strengths Finder sure okay I don't know if you've done that or not where you come up with like your top five strengths yeah you know? i
0: think i have i don't remember
1: what they are though i think my first one is achiever okay <laughs> i brought that home to my husband and he's like oh now things make sense You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i unload the dishwasher and he's like great job billy thanks for unloading the dishwasher <laughs> You're like up in the case, please. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, well, I think we're gonna end with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll start
1: off easy. Um, okay, favorite restaurant. Mm, that's supposed to be easy, huh? I haven't yeah. been to a restaurant in so long. <laughs> True, in the old days. <laughs> um probably the flying mango. Okay. I haven't been there. Okay. Oh, it's really good. If yeah, They're still open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in six months when we can leave. It, I'll see it. <laughs> right. um, okay. Our last TV show that you've watched. Oh, gosh. This is embarrassing. It's um, Marrying Millions. Okay. I, I binge watched season one okay. and season two. Is that good? Yeah, it's reality TV. So right. that's why it's embarrassing because it's, it's like, oh, gosh. It feels <laughs> <a pleasure.
0: laughs> You gotta swing the pendulum, like super complicated engineering to real housewives or marrying a billionaire. <laughs> exactly right. Okay. Favorite podcast that you listen to right on a regular basis. Hi, Dave Ramsey. Okay. Good one. Okay. Favorite drink? Manhattan. Manhattan. Nice. I would not have expected that one. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Favorite way to spend
1: a Saturday? Saturdays with family. We would ideally be going and doing something together as a group. Maybe it's golfing, or I don't know, going up to boon skiing, or um, taking my kids to soccer game, or something like that. Love
0: it. Okay. Least favorite home ownership task?
1: Ugh, all of them. <laughs> OK, check all of the above. <laughs> Any kind of house cleaning, uh, vacuuming, cleaning bathrooms, dishes. All yeah,
0: there. I hate it. OK, okay. makes sense. Um, OK, so the last one is a multiple choice question. So when you're driving, is it silent, loud music, singing to the music, or loud music, singing and dancing? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely loud music. Right okay well that's all I have um, I do want to say like I have really admired just the way that you go about business like I feel like oh. you are, are different in the engineering world and and I just really value our friendship um, It's really nice to get together and we can immediately go into the weeds of structural engineering and about client relationships and I, I feel like you elevate me to be a better engineer and that is super. Oh. <laughs> appreciative, or I'm super appreciative of that. So, anyway, thank you for
1: uh, doing this little bit, and thanks for being my friend. Well, likewise, I've enjoyed getting to know you too, and I will say you have done the thing that I never had the confidence to do. You know, you run your own business, you set your own schedule, um, you do your own thing, and you've been very successful at it. From my perspective, so thank you for thank you for showing me that. As <laughs> yeah well thanks thanks for the compliment